I just want to say I appreciate this church far more than I could express uh, before I came out here. I preached at a lot of churches once. Um, there weren't that many churches that let me come back and preach more than that. So church out here brought me and let me stay. And it's kind of like when you feed the stray. Now you're stuck with me. You've got to keep me. Um, and we love it here. We would really not want to be anywhere else. Uh, today we're going to talk about how to make a righteous judgment. And I was thinking about this. When I was a internet help desk technician, I worked with the people of varying political and religious backgrounds. I was one of the few Christians who worked on my shift and really the only one who was willing to openly talk about my beliefs and share the gospel with my co-workers. And my willingness to do this allowed me to be involved in several interesting conversations. And one conversation in particular involved a girl who asked me my opinion about a particular moral and biblical issue. So I took the time. I explained to her what the Bible said about the issue. I showed her a few verses about what the Bible had to say. And after I finished, she looked away. She kind of lifted up her head and, and sniffed and said, well, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I know it says not to judge. And that sure sounds like judging to me. And with that, my well-reasoned and very biblical case was completely dismissed. And I was labeled, at least by her, as a judgmental Christian. I have real doubts and I'm the only one that's ever experienced something similar to this. Chances are... Most believers have been involved with conversations with others that resulted in one or more of our statements being labeled as judgmental. And we've been told that we were judgmental. And you know, if this has happened to you, you know that once the J word has been thrown out, nothing else matters. I mean, once you've been labeled as judgmental or you've made a judgmental statement, it it does not matter what else you say, what Bible verses you bring up. That's the end of the argument. And judgmental Christians are blamed for pretty much everything in the world. From church splits, to the decline of the church in America, to the coming zombie apocalypse. Uh, maybe not the coming zombie apocalypse, but, but basically everything else in our culture. The absolute worst thing you can be, uh, worse, worse than anything else, is being a judgmental Christian. And since we don't want to be one of those Christians, we we tend to do whatever we can to keep from being seen as judgmental. We do this to the point of accepting any lifestyle as acceptable and teaching anything that's allowed and, and accepting it as Christian. But I can't help but wonder, is that the right response? Do Jesus's words on judging mean that making any sort of a judgment is always wrong? Do Jesus's words on judging mean that we can never say That something is absolutely and always right. Does his words mean that we can never say that some things are absolutely and always wrong? Is there any way possible that as believers in Jesus Christ, we can make a righteous judgment? Well, I'm going to try to answer those questions today. Open your Bible to John chapter 7, verse 19. That's page 815 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus speaking says, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. 
and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. The title of the message is A Righteous Judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you, God, for an opportunity to gather to study your word. We thank you, God, that your word can guide us and show us what is right and what is wrong and how to live the life that you want us to live. We ask you today to help us to lay aside the cares of life and be focused upon you. Help us to listen to your word and let it be the authority in our lives. Let your spirit open our hearts to receive it and let it bear fruit in our lives that would help us to bring glory and honor to your name. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit that I could speak your words and your ways and would not be a hindrance in any way to what you once said or done. Help us to respond in ways that acknowledge your lordship over our lives uh, and just to live in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Chapter 7 is a bit of a transition in the Gospel of John. From this point on, the opposition to Jesus begins to grow. The opposition to Jesus is largely based upon the fact that Jesus did something that they did not like. Jesus did something that the religious leaders did not like, and they made a judgment about that. And in their judgment about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, they have determined that the way they ought to respond is that they ought to kill him. Now, Jesus brings to mind, or he he speaks out loud what they're thinking in their mind in verse 19. Now, as he asks them about this, or he mentions this to them, they begin to deny it. But Jesus takes them back to the issue that has made the, that brought about the judgment that made them decide they want to kill him. He said, I did one work and you all marvel. In chapter 5, Jesus came upon a man who had been lame or had been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus then healed the guy, told him to take up his mat and to go home. And the guy did that. When the religious leaders saw the man walking, carrying his mat, they said, hey, you're working on the Sabbath by carrying your mat. That's a sin. Don't do it. And the guy said, well, the dude that healed me, he told me, take up your mat and walk. Well, who would tell you to do something like that? So they went to Jesus and he began to they began to kind of get on him. It's the Sabbath day. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And healing somebody is a work. You should have waited until the next day. And then Jesus responded with a statement that just about caused them to lose their mind. He said, my father's always working. Why shouldn't I work as well? And those two actions, healing on the Sabbath day, claiming to be equal with God, from that point on, they determined they were going to kill Jesus. Now, Jesus, after he mentions that, he he tries to explain to them in verses 23 and 24 why their interpretation of the law is wrong and why he is right. He says, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? The law said... When a male child was eight days old, you were to be circumcised. And this was, to do, this was to be done even if the day of circumcision fell on the Sabbath day. And that would be basically the priest doing this is a form of work. Because they considered work to be anything that is your job that you do is a work. So for a priest to do circumcision is his work. To do it on the Sabbath is a work. And they said, well, we've got two laws, so obviously it's okay to go ahead and keep this law and kind of overlook this one. 
And Jesus said, if it's okay to circumcise someone on the Sabbath day, how much more is it a good thing to heal someone on the Sabbath day? And then, after taking them to that, he he says something in verse 24 that is where our key verse comes from. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. See, they had made a a judgment about Jesus. They had made a judgment about what he did and what he said, but they judged by appearance and not in the right way. And Jesus did not say to them, do not judge. Jesus did not say to them, do not make judgment calls. He said instead, don't judge by appearance, but instead judge with a righteous judgment. Now, what I want us to understand is that certainly there are judgmental people in the world, right? And they look for ways to nitpick and criticize and put others down. And sadly, some of those people name the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And they make unrighteous judgments. However, just because some people are judgmental and legalistic and hypocritical and make unrighteous judgments, that does not mean there is not such a thing as a righteous judgment. That does not mean that it is impossible for someone to be devoted to Christ, loving, caring, and still make an absolute judgment about what's right and what's wrong in a righteous manner. But it is possible to make a righteous judgment, and that is a good thing. And so the main thought I want you to understand today is that a righteous judgment is a righteous thing. The world wants us to doubt this truth. The world does not want us to say that anything is absolutely right or anything is absolutely wrong. To go along, to get along, to accept all things, and yet the Bible does not give us that option. It is a righteous thing to make a righteous judgment. However, we must be sure we're making a righteous judgment. We must be sure we are making the judgment in the right way and with the right attitude and with the right standard. So how can we ensure that we're making a righteous judgment? To, do, to understand that, I want us to, to go to the Gospel of Matthew and look at Basically, the passage on judging. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Let me see what page that's on. Matthew chapter 7, page 738. Jesus says, judge not. To be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, here's the way the world wants us to understand this passage. Right? Judge not. That's the only thing this passage says. Everything else, scratch it out. That first two words, underline them, highlight them. Those are the most powerful words in all of the Bible. Right? And if you've ever been in a conversation where you've said, well, the Bible says, the argument and the response always is, yeah, but Jesus said don't judge, and that looks like judging. Right? So it doesn't matter what Jesus said. It doesn't matter what the Father said. It doesn't matter what Paul wrote. 
Judge not, most important passage in the Bible. However, is that the right way to understand it? I say it's not. And I say in this passage, rather than teaching us it's absolutely wrong to judge, it does teach us how to make a righteous judgment. And there are two ways that we make a righteous judgment. And the first is to judge carefully. That judge carefully. But in Jesus says, he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, again, the world tells us this means don't judge ever. Never say this is right, this is wrong. But I wonder, is that an accurate interpretation of this passage? And I'm going to explain in the next few minutes why I believe it is not. Right? And, and we're just going to look at what Jesus says in this context. We're not even going to go to other passages. Just in, in Matthew chapter 7, I want you to notice the number of judgments Jesus tells us to make. Look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. But he's, he's telling you there, judge between different kinds of people. Some people are not going to appreciate you trying to share the gospel with them or tell them about Christ. And so you have to judge between who will accept it and who will not. And then you have to judge on how to respond to that person. If you go on down, he says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There, Jesus says, you're to judge between different gates, different ways of life, and the where those ways of life will lead you to eternity. Judge if you're walking on the broad gate or the narrow gate. Judge if it's the way to life or the way to destruction. Judge where this path will lead you for eternity. Then look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Judge between different teachers. When someone says they're preaching what the Bible says, judge it. Determine, is it true or is it false? Are they a real teacher of Jesus Christ or are they a false teacher? That's a, a judgment that must be made. Look at verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, them a fire, thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. So now we're to judge fruit. And the fruit is in people's life. What, what is the way that they're living? What does that say about their heart, their relationship with Him, their commitment to Christ? That is a, a judgment call. And then, look down at verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on it. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Judge between the different foundations to build your life on. I mean, do you see how many times in this passage Jesus calls on us to make judgment calls? And that's just in one passage, in one speech. From John 1, 1 through 4 to 5, we're not talking about days or weeks or months. It is from one minute to the next. John chapter, or Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all one long sermon. 
So he goes immediately from judge not that you be not judged to judge between all of these other things. There is no way that what Jesus can possibly mean in this passage is never judge that something's right. Never judge that something is wrong. That cannot be what it means. So what does it mean? Well, at this time, the religious leaders had made judging like an Olympic sport. That was their thing. It's what they did for hobbies. It's what they did for fun. That's what they were good at. And in their judging, they were overly critical. They were overly cynical. And they were always looking for a reason to put others down. Their goal in judging was never to help people be closer to God. Their their goal in making a judgment call was never to, to stand for right or for wrong. Their goal for judging was if I could point out something that's wrong in you, it makes me look better. It makes me feel better about myself. Right, the, the attitude that Jesus is condemning here is not discernment and saying this is right and this is wrong. Here's what the Bible says and here's, what's, here's where we're going to stand. Instead, what Jesus is condemning here is a, a hypocritical, self-righteous attitude where we set ourselves up as the standard of righteousness. And those who do not do it like me are sinners. And those who maybe do it a little stronger than I am, they're legalistic. But I am the pinnacle of sanctification and devotion to Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch you, knowing that at some point you're going to do something that proves me right, that you're just a dirty sinner. That is the attitude. That Jesus is condemning in this passage. He is not under any circumstances saying. Do not make a judgment call about right or wrong. So what we have to do. Is we have to be very careful. In how we make our judgments. So how can we be careful? Well first. Judge actions. Not motives. You know when it comes to. To motives. A lot of us think we have the spiritual gift of discerning those. But I will contend you do not, and neither do I. In the end, unless someone says, here's why I'm doing something, we do not know why they do it. Can we see the attitude? Absolutely. Can we see the action? Without doubt. Can we make judgments about whether those are right or wrong? Certainly. But we cannot judge the motives. Of why someone does things. Because that person is the only one who truly knows their motives. And look at what the Bible says. The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. You know what? There's going to come a day when people who do things with wrong motives will give an account to to God. Because they know their motives and God knows their motives. God knows why they did everything that they did. And if they did it with wrong motives, God will surely call that into question. They will surely give an account to God for their motives. If we're going to judge carefully, judge actions, not motives. Secondly, ensure that the Bible is the standard for judgment. Ensure that the Bible is the standard for for judgment. Very often, the most judgmental people I know are people who make judgment calls based upon something other than the Bible. The judgment is based upon their preferences. This is what I like best. It is based upon their traditions. This is what I've always done. It's based upon their raising. It was good enough for my grandma, so it's good enough for me. 
And yet the thing is, there's nothing wrong with your preferences or mine. There's nothing wrong with your traditions or mine. There's nothing wrong with your raising or mine. The problem becomes when I begin to say that my traditions are your standard. When my raising is your standard, at that point we cross a line into self-righteous, hypocritical judges. Our traditions, our preferences, our raising, our whatever. None of that is the standard for anyone but us. I have a lot of things I prefer. And a lot of traditions that I hold dear and a lot of things that my mom and dad did that I think were right. Those are not your standard. And for me to say otherwise is a sin and it is wrong. Instead, we judge by the standard. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So God gave us the Bible to be our standard. He does not need us to improve upon that. He does not need you or I to say, well, I think this is better. I mean, that was a part of the problem with the Pharisees. A part of what they did was, like if you read Matthew 15, they they made judgment calls based off what Jesus calls their age-old traditions. The way they had always done it. And they said, we've always done it this way. This is the way it must always be done. And he condemned them for that. The Bible is the standard. Nothing else. I mean, ask yourself, do I think this is wrong because the Bible says it's wrong or because it goes against my traditions and my standards and my preferences? And if it's not wrong in the Bible, then just let it go. It's not wrong overall. Ensure that the Bible is the standard for judgment. Also, err on the side of grace and love. Err on the side of grace and love. You know, we can judge carefully. And we can say, I'm going to focus on actions and not motives. And I'm going to make sure the Bible is the standard. But in the end, in the end, we don't really have all the information. And so it is still possible for us to make a wrong judgment. It is possible for us to be careful, to do what we can, and still be wrong. And so what we have to do is always make our judgment calls knowing the fact that I could be wrong. I am not omniscient. It is possible for me to be incorrect. And then decide if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to err on grace and love, not on legalism and anything else. And and I like this verse. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to God. Now, this passage deals primarily with Christian liberty and the way that we live out our Christian liberty. But I think it has a strong application to this. So here's what, basically what Paul's saying. When it comes to Christian liberty... In the end, the way I exercise my liberty is not up to you. I'm not accountable to you the way I exercise my liberty. In the end, I'm accountable to God. And you're not accountable to me to how you exercise your liberty. You're accountable to God. And so what Paul says is, if there's an issue, and it looks like it's an issue of liberty, and if you think it's wrong, 
But you're not certain. You leave it to God because God can show them what's right and God can show them what's wrong. And God can do it in a far better way than you or I can. So when it comes to the issue of making a judgment call, if we're not 100% sure and if there's room that we could be wrong, let's just leave it between them and God. Knowing that in the end, that person was not accountable to me. In the end, God is not going to hold me accountable for their life and their actions and the things that they've done. They are accountable to God alone. And if they're wrong, God can square them away far better than we can. Right? Err on the side of grace and judgment. Leave it to God. And I like this. Do not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love gives someone the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that's kind of the idea of believes all things. But the religious leaders, they rejoiced in iniquity. They watched people. I mean, you read through the Gospels and how they treated Jesus. And a lot of times what they would do is they would watch him just waiting on him to blow it. And when he did, what they did, what they thought was blowing it, they would say, aha, we knew all along he was a false teacher. We've been telling you guys, look at what we've got. We've got proof. Now, at times, let's be honest. At times, that's how we act. We watch people saying, I know they're, they're faking. I know they're not real. I know that they're really like this behind the scenes. And then we see the slightest thing that, it, that, that just kind of reveals that. And we're like, I knew it. I was right. I have the spiritual gift here, folks. You just can't argue with that. When we act like that, we are far more like the Pharisees who killed Jesus than we are like the Jesus we profess to serve. Rather than being like the Pharisees, we are to be like Jesus and we are to rejoice, not in iniquity, but in the truth. Believe the best. If there is a doubt, give them the benefit of the doubt. If you're not certain that something they're doing is wrong. Or that they're doing something wrong. Rather than say, I think they are, and I'll just, I'll just assume the worst. Take a risk. Believe the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. If you're going to make a mistake, err on the side of grace and love. Now, judging carefully is difficult to try to balance all of this out. And I think one way that we can find out if we're doing it in the right way is to ask ourselves this question. Would I want to be judged by the same standard I'm using? Would I want to be judged by the same standard I'm using? You know, I don't want I don't want people to to judge me based off their traditions and their preferences. I don't want people To assume the worst about my motives. And to try to figure out why I do what I do. I don't want people to always assume the worst about me. I really kind of want them to give me the benefit of the doubt. Well, if I I want others to do that for me, then I am a hypocrite if I do not give others that same thing. And very often, part of the problem is we are like the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked at others with eyes of absolute scrutiny. And then they looked in the mirror through rose-colored eyes and said, That dude there is pretty squared away. And how often are we like that? 
How often do we see someone else's kids acting crazy at the store and think, that is an undisciplined, unruly child. And then when ours do it, we say, she's just tired. How often do we see someone and we, we wave at them and we try to talk to them in the store and they're like, hey, I've got to go. And we're like, you're rude. But then if we do it, well, we were busy and we had somewhere else to be. But don't we often judge ourselves by a very light standard and judge others by a very heavy standard? If we do, that is what Jesus is preaching against in this passage. That attitude is hypocritical, self-righteous, sinful. So ask yourself, before you make a judgment about what someone is saying, doing, am I judging them by a standard I'm okay with being judged by? And if you're not, change, withhold judgment, or just acknowledge you're a Pharisee. But be honest one way or the other. So not only do we want to Judge carefully, but judge myself first. See, Jesus says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and, and while the plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the, the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Another problem with the Pharisees is that they were self-righteous. Not only was it overly critical, but it was hypocritical two-faced. They did look at themselves with rose-colored glasses and looked at others with a far different standard and, and harsher. I think a lot of times what we do is we're kind of like the guy in this picture here. I love this picture. He's got a bodybuilding competition, and he says, that guy is so riddled with flaws, I don't even know where to begin. Right? And you can see he's kind of, he shouldn't be up on stage at any point. And that's kind of how we are. We have all these issues that are in our lives. We're hypocritical and judgmental. We struggle with sin. We have problems with our language. We aren't as devoted to Jesus as we should be. We have all of this stuff going on in our lives. And rather than judging ourselves and saying, look at what's wrong with me, all we do is we look at others and say, look at what's wrong with them. And I think one of the reasons we do it is because it makes us feel better. right? Because when, when I look at myself and my sin and my flaws, I don't much like what I see. I don't much look at that and go, gosh, that makes me feel good. But what I can do to ease my conscience and make me feel better is look at you. And I can see all the ways that you fail that I succeed. And I can see all the things that you do wrong that I do right. And I can say, well, at least I'm better than Red. At least I'm better than Scott. Well, I'm not so bad after all. And to that, Jesus says, you hypocrite. You self-righteous, sinful hypocrite. See, when he talks about the plank and the speck, he's not saying, my sins are worse than their sins. What he's saying is, your sins are there, and they're just as evident. They're just as real. They're just as bad. Be honest about it. Recognize it. Before you go off and begin to say, you're wrong here and there and there, look in the mirror and say, you, my friend, 
are wrong here and there and here and there. Far before we go out and begin to tell others where they're wrong and tell others how they're wrong, we must first look in the mirror and say, I am wrong. I have issues. I have to deal with them. We have to. Now, again, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, it is, it is hard to be objective about our own mistakes and our own sins. It is so easy to justify ourselves. So what we have to do is I think we have to pray this prayer constantly. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties or know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. See, the Holy Spirit, part of His job is to show us where we're wrong. To point us to the way that's right. So a part of what I need to do before I can make a righteous judgment is, I have to pray this prayer. Search me. Oh, God, and show me where I'm wrong and help me make changes so that I can be right. And the Holy Spirit will deal with us. This passage, listen, this passage is not saying we have to be perfect before we can say something's right or something's wrong. But I believe it does say we have to be honest. We have to acknowledge our flaws and our failures. And we have to acknowledge that our flaws and our failures are every bit as big and every bit as bad as everyone else's. Your sins are not worse than mine. They do not smell, my sins do not smell any better in the nostrils of God than yours do. They all sort of stink the same. And what we've got to do before we can go out and begin to make judgments that are righteous is understand that. I've got some stink going on with me too. And I had, much, I had better deal with it. And if I cannot objectively look at my life and see, if I look in the mirror and think, man, that guy's, I think he's just about like Jesus. Pray that prayer. Because God knows you're not. And he'll begin to deal with you about all of those things that aren't right. And begin to show you how to make those changes. And again, I think there's questions we need to ask ourselves about whether or not we're judging ourselves so that we can make a righteous judgment. First question is, am I being honest about my own issues? I mean, am I being honest about the things that are wrong in my life? And a part of being honest about things that are wrong is acknowledging how bad they are. Right? If I say, well, yeah, I've got some mistakes, but I'm not as bad as Joe Breeden. Right? That's not being honest. It's not being real. Instead, there has to be an acknowledgement that my sins are real. And my sins are serious. And they are just as deadly, just as wicked, and just as wrong as anyone else's sins. Am I being honest about the issues I have in my own life? And if I'm not, then I need to withhold judgment. I need to, to change my mind. Or I need to understand that I am a self-righteous hypocrite. And I am the Pharisee that Jesus is preaching against here. And then a second question is, am I actively trying to correct my issues? Because Jesus says, get the plank out of your own eye. 
Right? He, he says, beware that they're there and then work on them. It's not enough for me to say, well, I've got, you know, you know, I have anger management issues. They're, they're there, but what are you going to do, right? I have to be working at trying to fix them. I have to be working to try to pull that plank out of my own eye. Am I working on the issues that I know I have? And if I am, then I can make a righteous judgment. But if I'm glossing over my sins, and I'm acting as though mine don't matter, what am I to criticize others? I'm a hypocrite. I'm self-righteous. I'm a Pharisee. It is possible to make a righteous judgment. And a righteous judgment is a righteous thing. Do not let the world tell you otherwise. But in order to make a righteous judgment, you better judge carefully. And by the right standards. And you better judge yourself first. Because if I am not careful, and if I am not using the right standards, and if I am not acknowledging the issues in my life and working on them... I will certainly make an unrighteous judgment. And I will be the self-righteous, judgmental Christian that everybody talks about. I will be the legalistic, hypocritical Pharisee that Jesus has preached against here. Let me ask you, this week you're going to go out. And odds are you're going to get involved in a conversation, an opportunity to make a judgment call is going to appear. In that time, are you going to be able to make a righteous judgment? Are you going to be able to make a righteous judgment because you're judging carefully and by the right standard? Are you going to be able to make a righteous judgment because you're looking in the mirror and you're aware of what's there and you're doing your best to fix it? If you're not, then please do everyone a favor and just hold your bottom jaw up. Because when you make an unrighteous judgment, or I make an unrighteous judgment, we do far more harm to the cause of Christ than we do good. If we're going to make judgments, and we have to, let's be sure we're making righteous judgments. Let's all stand as our musicians come forward.